0: Gospel on this Friday, April the 29th, in the year of our Lord 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Fridays we call it Email Friday. It's more than email. For example, I'm on the phone quite often during the day, and we've had a number of statements given to me, uh, sent to me, and an email Plus, I received a wonderful article today by the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, Dr. Matthew Harrison, and I want to share some of that because it fits right in what we were talking about yesterday with Wes Reimnitz. We had an article by Michael Brown, The Danger of Creating a God and a gospel in our own image. And he went through and showed that the essence of idolatry is that we create a God in our image and we confuse his nature with our nature and therefore confirm him to our standards. And this is a reason why a lot of people stop going to church because they don't like the God found in Christian churches based on the Bible, because their standards are idolatrous. They are doing things that are contrary to the word of God. And because of this wonderful thinking that, guess what? I don't have to follow the scripture anymore. They are definitely creating the God in their own image and they expect God to operate the way they think rather than the way God thinks. Uh, a good example of that, of course, occurred in Finland when two Finnish Christians, uh, the, the one was Dr. Josh, Johanna Poljola. He's bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran uh, Mission Dioceses of Finland. And Dr. Pavi Razanen, she's a medical doctor and long-standing member of the Finnish parliament. They were taken to trial. It began on January the 24th. And why were they prosecuted? Because they both regarded marriage between a man and a woman and therefore challenged Uh, homosexuality, and its concept of man. Well, guess what happened? The case basically is closed. On March 30th, the Helsinki District Court in Finland issued its decision to acquit both of them. And this was more than just two people being freed to speak because the bible was on trial the the prosecutor very interesting he read his read his indictment and demanded that certain passages be removed from the publications that these two individuals had written he also demanded a corporate fine of a minimum of 10,000 euros for the Lutheran Foundation Finland to have to pay the government. And when he questioned them, he turned to the context and interpretation of the Holy Bible and labeled it as hate speech. Well, I'll tell you, that's part of the problem when you're preaching law and gospel because the law is kind of what Solomon does again and again in the book of Proverbs. He talks about not just the instruction of the Lord, but the discipline of the Lord. That's the word he likes using, because all of us are born as sinners, and to become a disciple of the Lord, we need to know what the Lord's will is. So if you want to know what Jesus thinks, what God the Father thinks, what the Holy Spirit thinks, turn to the book of Proverbs. We're kind of doing that on Wednesdays. And take a look to see how different are the thoughts of God in comparison to the thoughts of many people today. And and so with the help of uh, Wes Reimnitz, he found the article. Uh, We were taking a look at some of the things that happen when you create a God in your own image. And afterwards, there was some conversation we had with folks and reminded us not only of gay marriage is a great example of making God in our own image, but also transgenderism is simply the idea that a person is born as a male But then they get the ideas that they really should be a female. And they actually start doing surgical procedures to attempt to become a female. They pretend to be a female, even though, according to God, they were created as a male. And parents are not even supposed to be told by school officials when some of those procedures take place. And schools are definitely talking about transgenderism as an item that's quite possible. In other words, this is creating God in the image that we would want to do. So we had some conversations with folks. And then yesterday, there is a Publication that's the official publication of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. It's called The Reporter. And it not only does deal with the Finnish Lutherans who were fully acquitted, but there is a tremendous article by President Matthew Harrison. And what he does is he takes a look at a philosopher, René Descartes. He died in 1650. And he uses it well to show how Descartes credited as a foundational thinker in the development of Western notions of reason and science, and talks quite a bit about it. The only thing that remains true is that there is a mind or consciousness that believes the perceptions of today's society. In fact, he says, modern day thinkers have built a thoroughly humanistic worldview based on Descartes' statements, I think, therefore I am. And the result, President Harrison says, is that God has been dismissed as the essential cause of all things. And this includes, and we've been talking about this quite a bit on Law and Gospel, the removal of his law and his moral authority. The theory of evolution moves philosophy and science to view life as a random result of chance events instead of God speaking and creating. And what happens with evolutionary theory that is being taught in many public schools? The family, the state, the church, and notions of morality are human constructs that they say that is, the liberals, have resulted from myth, power, environment, chance, and the will to survive. This, this article is so good that I think we're going to be talking more about it on next Thursday's uh, Law and Gospel uh, with uh, Wes Reimnitz because it really does a lot of things. Uh, I'll just read one other section. Descartes' idea, I think, therefore, I am, shifts the basis for man's identity, that is, the way they were born, away from God's action to his own mind's ability to conceptualize himself. Descartes' teachings taught man to look inside himself As man thinks he is, he therefore is. And President Harrison makes a point. It's a short trip from I think, therefore I am, to I think I am male, therefore my female body does not determine the reality of who I am. And that's why there's quite a bit of transgenderism going on. Uh, The article really needs to be examined and read closely uh, by you. And it's in the reporter, uh, the official magazine of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Now, the other item that came up yesterday, and I want to really talk about this because I, I think it has helped me To understand the difference between a sermon and a lecture, Uh, a lot of times you hear a sermon and you don't hear anything new in it uh, from a law and gospel point of view. It's kind of like you're at the seminary. And if seminarians leave the seminary and then get installed in the congregation, and they preach like what they heard at the seminary, a lot of time it's a lecture. It's not a true law and gospel sermon. And so I was thinking, what is there uh, about the Christian faith that really needs to be noted in sermons? And what I came up with was what I call the shuns Of Jesus. And when I say shun, I mean the T-I-O-N of Jesus. Or sometimes it's also S-I-O-N. What were they? The ones I came up with were his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. Now, I mentioned this on Law and Gospel. Uh, a bit ago. And since then, uh, with the help of others and talking to pastors and emails, I've come up with seven more shuns. And so I put them down in an order which helps us to understand why they are very important in teaching the message of the Christian faith. The first one And I'm not really sure why I hadn't thought about this. But the first one is, of course, what the Bible first talks about. And that's the creation. Sure enough, if you go to John chapter 1, there was nothing created that was not created by Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. That's with the Father and the Word was God, and all things were made by the Word. So this is really important to understand, because if Jesus, the Word, is the one who is the author of creation, then we need to hear him as to how the creation works. Can can you imagine, I've used this example before, if uh, you think that you're able to fly, maybe you're taking drugs or something, and so you jump out of a third-story window thinking you can fly, guess what? Gravity takes over. So there's kind of a, a law, a natural law of science that will not permit you to fly. People know this. That's why they don't normally jump out of windows in order to fly. That's because creation has a set of guidelines, not only to help in the scientific area, but particularly also in our morality. If you break God's laws, there is implied a negative consequence. Uh, take, take a look at those people who are gay. They are very angry at the church, which means they're very angry at God, because when we say that it's God's will that a male and a female got married, not two males or two females, they they think we hate them. And, And so they hate the God of the Bible. And they invent a new one, talking about, well, that's the way he created me. Um, and, and thinking that they were created in his image. In fact, there are some theologians that talk about Jesus not as a male at all, but as kind of a neuter individual, or that she was the one who created the world. So creation is the first item. Now, the second item was one that came to our mind also yesterday in conversation, it's from the book of Philippians, where Jesus humiliated himself and then also was exalted. We call that in catechism his humiliation, and his humiliation is really part of the Apostles' Creed. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. That humiliation occurred because God in Christianity is the one who saves us. There are no works that a human being can do to offset his or her sins. So Jesus humiliated himself. That, that term humiliation doesn't refer to that he gets embarrassed, but that he humbled himself. I mean, Jesus did not feel pain. He did not get tired. He did not get hungry. He was God. But by becoming a human being. So the first part of His work of salvation is his incarnation. He followed through on his humiliation by the incarnation, which means he became a human being. He still had his divine authority, divine prerogatives, but he did not make use of them. Because if he had, he never would have been hungry, he never would have been sleepy he never would have suffered he never would have felt pain and he would never have been able to die but he did all of that and that's why after the incarnation i like talking about the crucifixion again a t i or an i o n in his crucifixion he died on the cross you really can't have a sermon without talking about his crucifixion. Because the words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the fact that we are comforted by the words of the cross when he says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. So a sermon always needs to bring in the teaching of the cross. And I'm not talking about that it happened historically because just by believing it happened historically doesn't save anybody. As some of the Pharisees point out, who knew he was crucified, who, of course, fallen angels know he was crucified, the devil and his cohorts, and they are not saved. The crucifixion is that, He paid for our sins on the cross. That's the teaching that needs to come across. Well, according to 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus was still in the grave, if he has not risen from the dead, then we are still in our sins because he's still paying for our sins. And that's why after the crucifixion, we have the resurrection. The resurrection is God's, the Father way of guaranteeing for us that the words that Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. That really is true. If Jesus says the work of our salvation is finished, then don't bother yourself in trying to do good works to merit heaven. Because the words, it is finished, means that those who have faith in Jesus, which also is a gift of the Holy Spirit, not something that you conjure up in your own mind, but that therefore your salvation work is finished. Heaven is your home. So, we do good works, but not to merit heaven. We do good works in order to realize that we have inherited heaven. And because of our thankfulness to God, and specifically Jesus, for being crucified, we therefore have faith that we too will experience the resurrection. So, We've got the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then we've got the ascension. In the ascension, Jesus becomes our heavenly prophet, priest, and king. In other words, when you pray to God the Father, it goes through Jesus because he is at the right hand of God. And according to Ephesians, you also are at the right hand of God because you are part of the body of Christ. He's the head. You're a part of the body, which is the holy Christian church. So what do we refer to this as? We've had his humiliation, which is his incarnation and crucifixion, And now we move to his exaltation, which is his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. But are we done with the shuns? No, we're not. And that's why a sermon needs to continue with law and gospel. The law is something that Jesus himself says in the book of Mark that his mission is, His ministry is, number one, to preach repentance, which is an ongoing idea and practice from John the Baptizer, sent to prepare the way of Jesus. So what is that repentance? What shun comes out of that? It's called contrition. In contrition... We do what? We mourn over our sins because we are grieving over what we are doing to Jesus. Every time you sin, it's like you're putting him back on the cross. And that's an action of idolatry. That's why every sin breaks the first commandment. So what happens in our salvation after contrition, that we come to a recognition of that, and we are then given God's righteousness. And that is summarized by the word justification. So, after contrition, we are given justification. And that means that God pronounces. That in his sight, we are righteous. Now, once you realize that you are righteous because of what Jesus has done, then you desire to do good works, not with the ulterior motive of meriting your way to heaven, but out of thankfulness to Jesus for what he has done. And what do we call that? We call that sanctification. So, part of Jesus' exaltation is that he moves us to be contrite, that's contrition, and then justifies us through faith, that's justification, and then we're eager to follow his commandments, which is sanctification. Sanctification is not the process whereby we become really good so God decides to take us to heaven. No, that occurred in justification. Sanctification is our response to having been justified. So how should every sermon end? It shouldn't end with a French or salad ending Namely, therefore, may we, or let us. No, get back to the gospel. And that is to end on a note of comfort, which is consolation. So those are the, con- those are the shuns. Creation, humiliation, incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, exaltation, ascension, contrition, justification, sanctification, and finally, consolation. That's the Christian message. And the next time you hear a sermon, we pray that these elements will be present, at least some of them, because that's the purpose of Jesus Christ, to give us a consolation, of salvation forever with God in heaven. I'm Tom Baker. Be back on Monday. God bless you.